0: Your Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and I've got the huge honour to welcome Mark. Andy's here today. Mark's been through uh, or been in so many great bands over the last 50 years. Wow. Like Firefall, Spirit and Heart. Our first song was Firefall but um, originally a song by Spirit Nature's Way, and that also features Timothy B. Schmidt, who you'll be familiar with.
1: Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Jason. It's so good to be with you.
0: It's a pleasure. And um, I thought the new version of Nature's Way would be a great way to open the show because it ties in two of the pivotal bands from your musical journey. What was the origins for for choosing that song and having Firefall remake that song?
1: Well, it's... I was asked to to rejoin Firefall. Gosh, maybe six years now. And in the process of of discussing with with Jock that eventuality, and I, it occurred to me that it would be good for the band to really accentuate the lineage, the family tree, so to speak, of the band, because Firefall it has such a, a legendary roots and and branches off of it. So. We started to perform uh, "Nature's Way" live. Is how this happened. I, 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 they thought, well, you know, might be a good idea. And then we we brought in. I got a line on you, and 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 uh, the uh, David Muse sings a wonderful version of um, "So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star." So we were, you know, in encore type moments. We were kind of sharing with the audience the connections with those bands and that, and that time and nature's way just got a very good reception all the time. And I had been asked by many people to record nature's way with them. And I hesitated because I just thought that Mm -hmm. whoever I do this with, it has to be special. It has to represent something. And uh, to be honest, I didn't feel that it was the right move until I saw the reaction that the fans had, because It's an interesting and I I know you'll get you'll appreciate this because it's a it's a new song, a new Firefall song. But it's it's an honor. It's an honoring or an homage to the 60s and Randy in particular. So it just evolved in a very kind of organic. It was one of the first songs that we cut for this new record. Actually, there was a handful of songs that we cut and it took us four years to finish the thing, so that this has been around for a while. Mm. And Timothy and John McPhee, uh, the legendary Doobie Brothers multi instrumentalist, I approached them uh, at a show that they did here in Texas. I live in uh, the near the Houston area, kind of, and. Um, I said, would you guys be interested, Timothy? Would you sing? I'm, I'm insecure about my lead singing capability. And there was Timothy. And I thought, he gets it. And he was a big spirit fan before he got into Poco and all that stuff. So he said, I'm in. And my good friend in Timothy's musical director Hank Linderman said, you should ask John. He'll, he'll get his feelings hurt if you don't ask him. <laughs> so it, that's the genesis of the thing. That's how it, how we kicked off the record and the, why we chose nature's way. And,
0: and I guess in, um, without COVID, Firefall would have been touring and you'd been playing live. And I guess this is a way of releasing Comet now is a way of reaching the fans.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fan base that Firefall has is really devoted and they love the band and we love those guys and it's it's just a a way to stay connected i think you hit it spot on it's just a way to say look at we we still want to interact with you guys here's this new music we would love to and then the the idea was just to be able to sell cds which are becoming more and more Mm -hmm. antiquated all the time you can hardly get a cd player in a car these days right I thought, well, you know, it'll, this is a good thing. So we'll sell CDs at the after the shows, right? Yeah. At the meet and greet ritual that you everybody loves to do, and the fans are so. Ah, it's like a combination of a, a family reunion or a high school, or, or, or you know, a school reunion, mm-hmm. and, and where everybody has unique memories and, and stories, but we're all sharing that that moment in our own way and and so the the fans stories to us are very very fun and and uh, it's a good it's very good but who knows how the the future will shape how we appreciate live music going forward
0: yeah and, and you mentioned about celebrating the 60s and and, and even the times today and, and way back when feels like a song that that connects then and, and now
1: oh definitely that, that was Jock's intent and he, he hit it spot on, too, because he went through the the years starting in 65. I was just graduating high school, our version of high school, at, at 17, and already had my little rock band put together. And Jay Ferguson and I were talking about working with Randy back mm. at that time. So uh, I felt the whole narrative that he creates with the beginning in 65. And, and he did a clever thing that he's... He's really developed into a great writer. He he went to the uh, Billboard's Hot one hundred <laughs> most successful albums, and and then just picked the years that he felt were I guess maybe what spoke to him about those uh, successful records, maybe created the narrative. But he went through it, and uh, that's how the, how it came about. So it's. But you're right about the um, the setup for the video is me kind of. Showing the, the the similarities and the differences, yet here we are at a, at a very tumultuous time. I think is the, the the word I used, and and it was definitely back then. It was bad. We had horrible assassinations and riots, race riots, and a spirit played in nineteen sixty eight in in Chicago, and narrowly missed gosh the, getting caught in that. Web of craziness, so and the Vietnam. I mean, it was just goes on and on, and here we are with uh, a very crazy situation going on in this country. And it's, it's, uh, this is as I think a challenging hmm. time for the United States as the Civil War. It is the Civil War, relived actually.
0: It's tough, it's tough, and I guess music is one of the ways that at least calms the soul a little bit or or takes your mind off some of the, the sort of heavier events that are going going around, I guess. I, it
1: does for me. And it's always been the thing that I received something from. And it's the being involved in the collective. You're creating thoughts and, and ideas that are Bit larger than the individual there's a lot of high-minded sort of ideals just singing and playing you have to cooperate you have to listen you know it's very conversational or it, it can be and so yeah it's <laughs> I think that it's a blessing to play music and it's really to really have a favorite band and be a, a, a fan of a band that's that's like man remember it was like you were you were in the club you were you know it was yeah. Like, yeah i still get excited about it <laughs>
0: The podcast with you wouldn't be complete without talking about Spirit and we've been talking about the 60s, but one of the most influential bands of that era, the Spirit, as one of the key foundations of now known as Prog you Rock. It. Yes. You were key in, in shaping that sound and, you know, with those some of those early singles like Mechanical World. It must have been so incredible to forge new paths in music as you did with Spirit and, and then that song as well.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm flattered that you selected that song because I had a a role in writing the some of the music for that song. <clears throat> so I feel very connected to it, and it's an, But you're right about Spirit, an underrated but very influential band of the era, and definitely one of the first progressive rock groups uh, ever. I mean with with uh gosh, we have good company, but boy, it was really, really fun. It, and it was we wow. it wasn't um contrived. It was that interaction could happen only because of who was involved and what they brought to the conversation musically and songs that were written. He wrote the uh song Taurus was his only song in the first record. It was mainly group songs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, check that out. And 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 the And of course, as we progressed, you know, Randy really opened up creatively. And I, so it was, Spirit was, is one of my favorite all-time bands. I I think it's a, it was a family experience, literally. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Spirit's second album, I guess you've got that blossoming of, of Randy as a, a songwriter and the success of I, I Got a Line on You as well, which which kind of shown um, the way that he could almost morph nascent progressive elements, blues,
1: but almost the poppy edge as well. Oh, he he loved all kinds of music and he and he was gifted as a musician to be able to be fluent in all of those styles it was to be expected to have him just go wherever he wanted to creatively for, but he, he wanted spirit to be successful. We really tried to be a hit band. I mean, and he, that's, boy, I got a line on you is pretty much he's delivering the goods, you know, and, and it did well for us, of course, but spirit was one of those funny. I don't know. We were hard to manage. Maybe we had a lot of personalities. I had the issues that held us back, say, let's say, and, We never had uh, when when Mechanical World was released as the first single. Lou did not have a plan for that. He just said, "Let's just release the album nationally and see who likes what song." And and gosh, it's crazy. There was it was so random. (laughs) And then we had the misfortune of bad luck, or not, or lose not uh, really interest to. Then market the success that we had in Miami and Florida, which was really substantial it did never we never connected the dots and it was always sort of fragmented but then you had all these musicians just loving the band and so we got the respect, which was wonderful uh but that success I think it broke. And i don't want to sound too melodramatic but i think it broke randy's heart ultimately he just mm-hmm. fought so hard and wrote some worthy stuff mm-hmm. Dr. Sardonicus. I'm sorry. That's Randy's masterwork, I think. Spirit's yeah. masterwork. And I did not think that at the time, actually.
0: It's one of those albums, a little bit like the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle, where its stature just grows and grows and grows, uh, you know, Mr. Skin and just the different sounds of the album. It's a masterpiece.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, I'm proud of it. The funny little punchline for me is that I kind of didn't like the version that we finished because I thought it was so slick and overproduced. And <sighs> and Randy, unfortunately, had a, a bad, d- dangerous accident. He During the re- recording of that album, he was on a horse in Topanga Canyon where we lived and he, he got thrown off the horse and hit he actually that fractured his skull and he had a head injury Gosh. and he just didn't rehab like he should have. And uh, we were uh, doing a lot of uh, drugs and stuff, of course, as everybody knows and experimenting and stuff. And Randy didn't lighten up during that time. And I think it kind of changed some of his wiring or something, but he would do kind of erratic stuff. He was always a, a mischievous Guy, I, I loved his sense of humor. He, he and I were uh, have, our birthdays are close together, so we identified as fellow Pisceans. And uh, mm. he was playful always, but then there was a, that a dark thing kind of came in. To, so anyway, I was reacting to some of that, I think, and expecting the Sardonic, Sardonicus record to be a little more stripped down, a little more rocking. Right. And there are these layers of Randy, you know, dripping off uh, some of these beautiful tracks. And I went, oh, you know, oh, really? You know, it, it took me probably 10 years to really appreciate what we, what we had done.
0: The albums it just kept, it's kept selling. It's, it's never been out of print. People just kept buying it. Yep. I mean, you mentioned how Randy was, but even, even in the the lyrics of the album and, and tracks like Animal Zoo, where it's got that playfulness, but also darkness. There's a, it's kind of light and shade there.
1: Oh, Fresh Garbage. I mean, that's yeah. that's Randy and Jay really <clears throat> conversing with one another through their songs. Jay was, uh, what I loved about Spirit and Jay and Randy were both, we were fearless and we would just go in, in odd directions, but go all in. And uh, the at Animal Zoo and uh, Fresh Garbage, that's yeah. It's a happy little tune. I mean, Led Zeppelin liked the riff well enough to, you know, jam at, at, at uh, you know, mm. during their sound checks and stuff. But it's, Look beneath the lid, some you know fresh gar. I mean, this was like he he was being literal because we moved into a house that had been literal literally, literally trashed. It was full of trash, and we had to. He wrote the song while we were cleaning the house that we were about to move into in the '60s.
0: Mentioned that it took you quite a while to come to terms with that album, and uh, you know the way Randy was, and yep. was that the bark of, of you and Jay uh, going off to form JoJo Gun? Then
1: absolutely, and that you can tell right away where yeah Jay and I were landing as far as this uh, textures and sounds for what we wanted to do within spirit, but felt like that it had just gotten unmanageable. I regret that I didn't have the communicating skills. That I might have developed over the years and a lot of uh, therapy. (laughs) Been so young, though. Yeah, yeah. And so we threw together, uh, well, we didn't throw it together. We really carefully crafted JoJo Gun, but it was with my brother and Curly Smith. This is a kind of a funny little scoop for your show. Yeah. I always encouraged Randy to give spirit a rest and do, uh, Mm. try to be successful as a solo artist or. At one point, I was back, I'd left Firefall, I was back in L.A., and I wasn't in Heart yet. And I'm going, racking my brain, what what can we do? And it occurred to me that we could put both bands together. Wow. And do spirit, because Matt and Randy loved each other. In fact, the California Blues, Matt, Randy's, Randy and my brother and my brother's daughter, she sings... Call on me with him. It's a duet with wow. my, my niece and Randy. And so, uh, so I thought, oh, surely this will be a success. But it didn't really happen. We would get to get into the studio, though, and record. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All of us. Why I was uh, encouraging Randy to be kind of more of, of an individual, it was because I always wanted spirit to be special. If yeah. You, don't go. get
0: people to want spirit rather than it being around all the time. Exactly.
1: How can how how can I miss you if you won't go away kind of a thing? So I thought I was always encouraging him, and it would always wind up being um, a spirit version. Yeah. And and it just, not that it lost credibility per se, but it stopped being spirit. I mean, without gaze, yeah. quirky. I mean, he went on to write the, theme for the office so that you can tell he's a playful guy has mm. really good skills. So it, for us to uh jump ship, I think was probably unfortunate for the band. But we did have some have some legendary reunions as though. Yeah. That. I
0: was meaning to say with George Gunn, we, we took you into our hearts over here in the UK and you had a, a, a massive hit with run, run, run as well.
1: Absolutely. We hit a struck a chord and it was real. I mean, it was pretty unvarnished, which is what I was heading, going towards. I didn't write any of the songs, actually. My brother mm. wrote uh, the music to Run, Run, Run. But I got, well, I got fired from my band. I mean, summarily, by the manager, kind of road manager guy. And he just said, yeah, I'm just sorry, man, we're going to have to do this. And, and I was so shocked and hurt that I just said, I'm moving to Colorado blank this (laughs) you know what I'm saying and that's what got me to Colorado turned the page right
0: took you into a sort of different music oh. scene and different musicians. You wouldn't necessarily think um,
1: Colorado would
0: be a bit of a hotbed, but actually it was.
1: But it, That was the irony of my move. I'm saying, fuck this, fuck you guys, I'm leaving LA. <laughs> little did I know that while I was taking my little hippie bus trip with my wife and her daughter in a, in a school bus, it was a church bus is what it was. Everybody else was. Uh, Joe Walsh was <laughs> olgelberg was wow. I mean, so i'm i'm saying uh oh, leaving l a but l a came with me
0: <laughs> the sort of genesis of firefall was actually playing with Chris Hillman originally then,
1: yes, I had known uh chris well actually uh rick uh, and and Michael of course knew chris in l a but i I had a girlfriend that was friends with chris's first wife uh Jeannie and uh so I knew Chris when he was in the Birds. We didn't really hang out mm. until later, but uh, it was his band, and he had a killer uh, record that we were promoting. And he, it, it just—he was stressing, and I was getting sick and symptomatic from whatever. I guess it was Hep C. I think I don't want to. Mm. He'll probably tells us in his book.
0: I picked it doesn't matter, which was um, I think a, a co-write between Rick uh, Stephen Stills and, and Chris Hillman. So that's quite a combination was that a song that that Chris played with you guys originally or were you the first to record it in Firefall
1: I, no it, it was a, it turned out to be a song that uh, Rick and Chris wrote Chris approached Stephen with the song right and he said I love this song I want to do this song in the band but I want to rewrite the lyrics. Hi, okay. In the melody and stuff, you know, a little bit. Yeah. So there are two distinctly different versions. Gosh. So that's the interesting thing. There was no cross pollination, really. We did our, we, and we took pride. It was the, well, it was the original version. Yeah. We were doing it, we were performing it when. So, Rick, it was a good band. And we, and we had a, a really good, uh, we had a great drummer, uh, Michael Wootson. And we had this great Andy Peak, I think was the steel player. It was a Colorado was quite an experience. I've just had this luck of being in the <laughs> certain decades in certain places. Yeah. Who knew? I don't you know. <laughs>
0: Big success for Firefall. You you were massive. Again, your time in that band, Firefall were absolutely huge in North America.
1: Yes, it's an interesting thing. I've noticed that during my time in bands, certain bands, that's when, when they really are firing on, on all of their cylinders. And it's not gone unnoticed on my part. I thought I'd pick um,
0: Strange Way as the next Firefall track because you were hugely successful with ballads and strange way does have a little bit of that in, but it also showcases the incredible musicianship of the group and the way that you could stretch out. And I guess that for me is a bit more representative of of what you, I assume you were like live anyway.
1: Oh, very much. That That was the thing. We were like a five piece guitar band for a couple of years playing in Aspen and, really uh, playing a lot of clubs and boy you you hone and it was a jamming thing we didn't have david at that point two guitars uh, and an acoustic rhythm larry could play a decent second lead and we encouraged him to do that but it was mainly the jock bartley show on guitar Mm. and then when we when chris got ill and we this is a, such a Hollywood story, you know the band. We fly the drummer in and the sax player and Larry, and we the show must go on. And we and, and happened to be because we played so many clubs, really tight. We really knew our stuff. So yeah. Amit and uh, Tunch, I think, got wind of us, and then that's how we wound up uh, on Atlantic. Wow.
0: heard that the usual things like drugs and w- were seeds of, of oh. basically you kind of ultimately leaving the band and just wanting kind of a bit of a change and, and, and actually back to LA I think wasn't it
1: yes exactly correct I just felt like we would uh, we were self-defeating ourselves and, and it, there, would, there would always be a certain amount of success but it surely was not maximized mm. during the time that we were at our peak had we been had the wisdom and the and the discipline to, you know, have have a great night, and do you know yeah. a bunch of cocaine and talk all night and not be able to sing the next gig, mm. is counterproductive. And it was just like obvious to me that when when Ken Kinnear we, Hard and Firefall played uh, quite a bit together. We got on well, and uh, their management and their success. I encouraged uh them to go his direction with management and leave And um it was then that I, I unloaded my news in his office in Seattle, to be honest. We're getting ready to sign. And I said, Well, I've got something <laughs> that I want to tell you guys. <laughs> and uh I unloaded that on him. And I said, Well, I'm I have to I can't, you know, do this, you guys. And I said, Now you've got Ken. You got a good manager, I think, at the time. I don't know how great he was mm. in the grand scheme of things, but you're in competent hands. I'm gonna hand off my role. And and I just went back, you're right on the money, Jason. You yeah. I went back to where I was comfortable, you know, I went landed in Playa del Rey so I could be close to my mom who was living in Venice, California. Yeah. <laughs> Another decade at the beach in California. It was crazy. It was, it was just a, a a series of pretty amazing events. I mean,
0: it seems incredible, wasn't it? Because it wasn't like you landed in LA and then immediately you were in bands. It was just a moment of,
1: yeah, I was like out of desperation <laughs> almost or, or reflexive. <laughs> I just, I got to, you know, I'm, so we, we moved everybody to the, to uh, California and I, and I started to, because, but by then, I think just the aggregate accumulation of the work that I was getting, the privilege of, of being involved, but started to take effect, so that I would go yeah. and hear guys play, and they knew me, they knew of me, and the, you know that my credibility was on the rise. I have to say that's an interesting mm. dynamic when you have when you are kind of the person watching. It happened because it's kind of expresses itself in odd, kind of uh, serendipitous ways. I mean, you just don't expect something sometimes, you know. Or I guess if if you have too many expectations, it could be disappointing. But I've always been <laughs> happily happily able to do the, what I was able to do, you know, privilege.
0: You joined Heart at a really interesting page for the group because I, I've chosen How Can I Refuse, which is off the, the Passion Works album, which I guess in that period they were still the heart that everyone originally knew and loved in that they were, you know, a band and, and rocking at that point. So you, you joined right. Heart when they were kind of just at that, the final chapter of that original sort of era of heart there
1: format yeah it, then it then it became this the sisters as yeah yeah it was right uh city's burning was the single but it was the last record that they did as the original band
0: yeah
1: roger and and mike and yeah it was an interesting time i uh, and i uh, played with the uh, tim goodman Uh, he had to put a great band and that's how I got to know uh, John McPhee.
0: Right.
1: So I was in the studio a lot and, and hanging with these heavy hitter guys. I'm just going, okay, I can make this work, you know? Mm. And I did literally Uh, Curly Smith, the drummer that was in Jojo gun was our drummer. And we had top session guys. Uh, He had a good manager, Marty Wolf and uh, John McPhee was producing the stuff we were recording. So it was, and we kicked ass on live too. So, I am actually rehearsing, doing another project that so I'm starting to get it going. And I see Howard Lee's road case being wheeled by this this guy that wound up being a very good friend. Yeah, it was his guitar tech, Gavin Menzies. And I said, Howard's here. Is he? And he says, Yeah. I said, Could I give you a note? You know, to give to Howard. And I just brought up really quickly, just, "Hey, Howard, it's Mark. I'm back in town. You uh, might gave him my info. Love to, you know, get together, see what's going on, you know." And I heard nothing. <laughs> it <was like> months, <laughs> nothing happened. But then eventually he said, "Hey," and he's so understated. He, I love that guy. He's so funny. He says well, he calls in, in the, I think it was the first few words he said. Well, hey, yeah, do you want to be in heart? And I, wow, <laughs> yeah. And it was so. It was uh, yeah. That was my first record, and it was, and I, I, it was a hard negotiation because I could tell the sisters were wanting to distance. They we, we wound up being a, a, a real business. I mean, partners, and but the guys split fifty percent, and the girls split fifty percent. It was one of those right. those moves in a band's development where the primary focal point goes. Okay, I get more of the pie. And it was a hard yeah. negotiation because I was saying, no, 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 no. I'm not your, you asked me to join your band. This is how it's done, ladies, <laughs> you know. So I held a uh, firm and that, we, so we got, you know, like 16 something percent for the guys and 25 a piece for the girls. That's how it was. The structure of the, the relationship was structured. And we just operated making some Interesting calls, but you're undeniable. That song actually was something I wrote and gave to the band as a, just a little... Wow. I wrote all of that uh, music except for... And the melody, uh, Keith Olson basically wrote it and gave it to the girls. He liked the track, and he kind of came up with a melody for the vocal. But I had the basic song, and, and I wrote it at Howard's house when we were wow. just getting into the thing. Whoa. I mean... <laughs> Wow. But anyway, everybody winds up getting credit on it. And that was my intent. I wanted to say, hey. Yeah, the band. Ba- the band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had a tough negotiation, but this is my way of saying, okay. And yeah. it, was, it was a good relationship for most of the time. I think there's some hard feelings still that, I don't know, we never really resolved some of the issues. But I wish them well. I mean, they're very talented people. I mean. Yeah. But they were angry with Denny and me and didn't include us in the, in the rock, 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 rock. hall. <laughs> That's unfair, isn't it? We used our images and our songs and, uh, you know, we just yeah. like that. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does seem completely unfair that you were part of Heart, that 20-year period, and, and there was the 70s and the 80s. But, you know, These Dreams, for example, was number one. Yeah, huge, huge success.
1: Yes. The, bet, the most success they ever attained was during that time. But we were a rockin' good band. I mean, that Denny, Howie, and I basically arranged the, the songs with the final collaboration is with your producer, but mainly we had our songs worked out and the girls knew their parts and we recorded, we actually recorded everything twice, demoed everything, maybe, maybe a lot more than we really needed. But we were up on uh, all, uh, a lot of material could go from one arrangement to the next and boom, boom, boom. We, and we were as good live as we were in the studio. That was the cool thing.
0: So that that was the sort of mark of the band was that collaborative material. So if we take these dreams for for example, you'd actually work that out as a band in terms of how that would That go. actually
1: was one of the songs that was really pretty much written by it was Bernie Toppin and uh Wolf, Peter Wolf. That uh, yeah. uh, I think he's Austrian or he's a European guy. He's very talented writer keyboardists and so he came up Hmm. with mainly that cascading chimey thing and Hmm. and we just played it straight ahead uh Nevison, not not my favorite producer for for the group but i much preferred keith olsen but and richie zito but uh, Hmm. uh ron said it had a clever moment he nancy sings of course these dreams this shows you how old school it was. We were singing and playing the. She was singing to give us mm. the help us record the basic track, and that that was you know. So she's in there, we're doing it, and we go in to listen and Nevison. We play back and there's a little crack in her voice where yeah. on the second verse or something. It's a little it's a moment where there's a little some vulnerability gets created, but she has this soulful little moment, and Nevison. Kind of to us, he says, she doesn't know, it, but that's the, the version that mm-hmm. I'm going to use on the record. I know she'll want to do it again, yeah. but you know, that was a good thing. That was pretty cool. I'm I was happy for Nance that, that she got the sweet success.
0: issue that some people have with heart in the 80s and and i guess the the wilson sisters are a bit like that now is that you know once these dreams were successful the record company were kind of wanting ballad after ballad and it just got a bit much i guess i think
1: it was yeah it was marketing and and going it was when trudy green and howard kaufman took over the management that things really started to go they wanted big and they wanted Bold, And they wanted to maximize, they had basically two beautiful sisters. I mean, Mm. what more do you need? And, and, but it was, it was a calculated move to, I think, maximize the monetization of everything for certain people. And, um, I didn't have any problem with, you know, playing dress up. I mean, I, we were kind of glam. Spirit. So the 80s. The 80s. Exactly. What, what were you going to do? Exactly. So I could act like a MTV <laughs> guy. And, but the funny thing is, I was in, in my 40s. I was like, it was like Ed, Ed Cassidy in spirit. Yeah. He was already 40. We were just, you know, still in our teens. I had to have my... Parents co- three of us in spirit had to have our parents co-sign our, rec- wow. our <laughs> recording contract with Lou.
0: <laughs> you got a taste of that in the 80s, despite some of the, the songs of that the rock star, oh, m- millions, millions of albums and singles.
1: But we were good uh, about really, I mean... Howard is a very good musician and Nancy is no slouch as a guitarist mm. and the vocals and, and Howard's ability to play keys. God, we did that. Uh, great. Uh, Denny wrote a song with um, Sam Hagar called uh, fallen from grace. Yeah. Uh, and that was a st- an opener for us. Cause it had that acapella, cappella. Thing you know that we could do so well live, and it was striking. It was so there was, we like to rock, yeah, but you're right about the posing aspect. Maybe it (laughs) got a little boring, you know. But I had fun always with it, person.
2: We'll be right
0: When I hear some of, some of that heart material, especially as we get later on, and there was less input from the whole group. Yes. Some of the songs and productions that stand the test of time is the stuff from the band, you know, like Call of the Wild uh, yeah, from Brigade. It stands now better more than some of the other material on that album.
1: So that's Howie, Denny and I just jamming at sound checks and recording it and coming up with a co-write. Yes, we had a, it was a clunky, heavy thing, but it was a little porter studio, the thing that we would jam in our rooms. And we took writing seriously. And I think one of the things that I think that those guys may live to regret is that we just didn't, that they bought into the glam thing, even when it wasn't comfortable and Mm. maybe the honest thing to do. Because they would really do, they would stretch her images so that she was, so Anne's weight was, hidden from people. And there was a physical reaction when people saw her, how she really was versus the image that was being sold to them. And there was always a, an awkward moment. And I thought, well, God, why why put yourself through that, man? Let's just be yourself. Be Mama Cass did it just fine, you know, but don't feel like you're compelled to squeeze into a corset or approve a of images that are really not accurate you know
0: was it that sort of tension there and and you was kind of providing your opinion that that ultimately led to your leaving do you think
1: oh i think i pushed my boundaries and i actually was taken aside by howard kaufman and he said look it you're gonna make a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) just shut up Uh, and just do do this you're gonna you're you're gonna be okay you know and it was a calculated risk but i i think that it had he had the an artist's long term yeah he knew that that would uh be short-lived it was gonna end boom mtv next those sisters should be like joni mitchell types yeah you know what i mean there's a difference and it's uh, nuanced, but uh, not 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 very. <laughs> it's pretty. It's stark, you know. Yeah. I think they could have been more artists, actually. Than that, to be honest, they deserve.
0: You went on to success in the 90s by playing with artists like Stevie Nicks, and you moved again, And because I've, I've, ne- I've next got um Beauty Way, which is the song that you, you wrote with Eliza Gillickson. Where were you in the country at the time for that?
1: Oh, that's an interesting... Uh, yeah. Oh, half a decade. That was in northern New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico. I was kind of a crazy. I think I... The whole... Heart decade was challenging for me. I, you know, I got a, a divorce going into it, and I got kind of divorced at the end. I think my mom died in that decade. And I just had this, and I consciously knew that I would have to dismantle this, you know, all this kind of baggage that I was mm. dealing with. So it was a tough time. So I had left Ojai. I was living in Ojai, California, uh, doing, working at, uh, doing really well trying to keep get my son together through, through school and stuff. And I got a call from, I think it was Stevie's people, or, or now maybe, or HK or something, but Fogelberg. It, it, he said, uh, had the hell freezes over opportunity occurred. Timmy wrote some wonderful songs that brought the, the guys back. So the hell freezes over time. He was playing with, with Dan. So Dan... They said, "Well, you know, how about Mark?" And mm. f- first, I was so honored to be asked by Dan to play with him because I knew the guys in his bands over the years, and um, yeah, it was it was quite extraordinary. Yeah, but it was a, a, a kind of a, a cast of characters. I, I it wasn't right. always the ba- the bass guy. You know, he liked to vary up, and um, which was fun because we got to share the bountiful i mean he was making so much money and he could actually do really well he did such a great solo performance with his keyboards and his guitar stuff <laughs> uh, he makes yeah. more money <laughs> without a band actually but it was a fun fun time To so, but it, it made it convenient for me to go to where Eliza and I—she was opening up, up for him. Oh, okay. We sort of fell in love, and and I, just as I'm getting ready to want to leave LA again, one of those things, we fell in love, and and she lives in New Mexico. I said, okay, let's I'll, let's get something. So I sold my house, bought another place up there on uh, a beautiful little creek, Pot Creek. <laughs> <laughs> It was a great experience. I worked with uh, Native American. I still have my, my Native American friends, that Ron Luhan and Rinaldo. You know, there's the Luhan family is very. Cool. He, he's the, he's a drummer man, and he plays the tribal drums. There's there's a there's an mm-hmm. obscure uh, CD I, I co wrote a lot of the songs. Mike Wancheck produced it, but it was okay. called Mirabal. Right, he's so uh, he's a Native American guy. He's speaking in his native language, so some of the times like rappy stuff. But I wrote the music and played on, and and Kenny Arnoff plays the drums. Wow! <laughs> and Mike Wanchek. from, but anyway, I was I was doing that project there. So he he's in Taos. Yeah, I'm in Taos, and and Dan, who I'm employed by, is up in uh, Pagosa Springs, which is just southern colorado basically right kind of neighborly <laughs> so there for a while it was just a really comfortable spot and then it then it stopped then you know the relationship with the native american guy robert kind of went south and and so i didn't continue working with this guy so and uh and Eliza's daughter and son were already thinking about Austin, so we sort of as a couple decided to move to Austin, but it, we fell in love, went to New Mexico, had this really, really uh, magical kind of opening up mm. uh, creatively. Boom, over, you know, and then but we wound up coming to Austin as a couple living together, and then we broke up. and But yeah, there was a There was good connections with the dad. I really loved Terry, bless his heart, the guy that wrote some such wonderful songs Mm. and stuff. And um, her family, they were wonderful, wonderful people. Eliza.
3: My father made a pretty damn good living, playing music on the beauty way. He's gonna die with some money in his pocket Wish I could do the same today, little darling Wish I could do the same today dough white eyed kid and a little transistor Tuned into Wolfman Jack I picked up a guitar, heard the silence The diamond in the rug. By the time I hit LA, I was. High. Say, how oh, but every time I say.
0: really interesting throughout this this whole podcast how the geography of where you lived shaped your musical career. I, I, I honestly don't know many artists like that, and you know, no matter where you've lived, you've whoever's been around, you've collaborated with them and been hugely successful. It's it's really interesting.
1: It's just, I think, a lot of it is just blind luck, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I'm not trying to be overly humble. But it is interesting, and it's almost like I'm—I don't have a filter. I just kind of let it. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I "Can't." This is what—it's hmm. been very interesting. What a decade to to catch this stuff, you know? I mean, that my—you hmm. know—the '60s, uh, from on, you know.
0: To close the show, I obviously wanted to play a, a track from the new Firefall album, Comet, and uh, Hardest Chain for me was another song that. I may be misinterpreting the the sort of lyrical themes of that, but it feels like it's got that positivity, certainly in the sound sound of that and the harmonies. Yes. Just, again, we were talking yeah, about yeah. soothing the the spirits. It, it oh, seems to, for me to connect with that.
1: Wonderful that you would bring that up. I, I mean, you know, you you're really it's in, you get get the nuance, and it is about that. And and uh, our buddy Tony Tony Rosario wrote the song and. Sandy helped him put it together. So it's kind of a collaboration there. But he just wrote this song, and it just, it almost is one of those songs that just it plays itself, kind of, you know, because it's so obvious what you should be mm-hmm. doing, whether it's a lyric or a vocal thing or something. So uh, it was such a fun, it, was, it took so long. I was, I kind of got t- tired of the drawn out process ultimately I, I just kind of pulled back when i had kind of had enough and because it took some time getting this thing right yeah. but uh i think it's really a good piece of work and i'm proud of the firefall the comet record actually and i think that song is i I'm, i agree with you yeah. that it's it delivers man it's a it's a heartfelt thing it's, it's, it does a, a number on Mm. As a player, when you play that kind of stuff, you have that kind of reaction too. Yeah, you know?
0: I always ask this question. It's it's pretty tricky in, in in this sort of environment. But have you any plans for, for next year, or have you, are there any projects Are you're hoping to, that the, the live scene and and the, the being safe to do that will start to kick in? Hopefully in in the summer.
1: Oh, I think I think, and and we're we're open to uh, getting back when it's safe for everybody. Yeah. Probably after the the vaccine gets uh, circulated properly and we get a lid on this thing. We're just out of control here. I mean, it's so crazy.
0: I guess music, you know, once we're out of this COVID period... Music's a way of seeing us through it, especially in the live arena when we get out of it. Oh, it'll—it's got that, yeah—that way of communing with people that just will be even more special.
1: That oh, I—that's I, well said, man. It's exactly—it will be church, man. It will, yeah. be important. This is, yeah, ch- this has changed so much. We don't even. But you're so right on. I mean, that's a great perspective. You, you get it. You get it.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you, um, Mark what can i say how great was it to talk to you and uh, your many bands and your projects uh, a privilege and honor
1: thank you so much thank you so much jason i love this i love the the rapport this is a good conversation bro
0: thank you take care
1: take care thank you
4: but those old ghosts come calling and you're right back in it you've got those hellhounds hot on your trail and the ship that you've been waiting on never set sail seems like the hard times ain't never gonna end just reach out your hand place you used to keep your friends the shoes you're wearing are getting paper thin like the veil around your heart that holds your heart in. shooting stars falling at your feet but their light seems so distant and your faith seems so weak somewhere in the darkness there's a place so sweet and free i stood where you